I'm Susan Brown. I'm Michaela Joy O'Shea. And I'm Jay Yi. You're listening to Beyond the Fog Radio. Our podcast about the untold stories of San Francisco's long history from the people that have helped shape it. Whether you're new to San Francisco or have lived here your entire life, join us as we share the stories of our city by the bay. Have either of you had kale chips? Yes, I've had kale chips. Do you like kale chips? I love kale chips. Are you kidding? I love kale chips. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) And they're crunchy, like something terrible, but only it's really good. Crunchy. Salty. And and cheesy. It's that cheesy stuff that gets me. I'm like, what is this good stuff? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel so bad that I'm eating a whole bunch of dehydrated kale that's crunchy and cheesy. It's amazing. And Pena Pachamama, which is located in North Beach, they make some amazing kale chips inside of their restaurant. Have you ever been to Pena Pachamama? I mean, I've walked past it from Chinatown to North Beach in my 20s. I would walk past it on my way to the, um, let's call it the watering hole. (laughs) 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 And I'm expecting, you know, a smooth, sensible transition from... Chinatown to Italian establishments. And then there's Pena Pachamama, organic South American cuisine. And you would think you're in the mission. Right. That's what I thought when we had the address to go to the interview. Right. I was like, wait, why are we going to North Beach? Are we going to the mission today? What? What? I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) The the first time I went to Pena Pachamama was probably 20 years ago when I first moved home from New York. And I think my father was having an event there. And my friend David Latimer and I walked in. And you think that you're going from another time This is like a mixture of a speakeasy in South America. Now we know that there's a reason why. Super special. Yeah, and as we did more research, the interior was just like, whoa, performing space, costumes, bright colors. Beautiful bright colors. I mean, for anyone who hasn't been, they should absolutely go. Absolutely. I agree. Pena Panchamama is a restaurant located in a perfect location in North Beach. It sits a little off the beaten path and it's around the corner from Beach Blanket Babylon. It's a kind of you-only-know-if-you-know location. This intimate building has a deep history of being a speakeasy during Prohibition. It was reopened in the 1980s and has been going strong ever since. Despite the neighborhood's roots that are steeped in Italian culture, this North Beach restaurant brings forth many different South American and Spanish cultures. This former hangout of so many notable people like JFK, Frank Sinatra, Joe DiMaggio, Marilyn Monroe, is now home to a very unique raw vegan restaurant and music venue owned by musician and composer Eddie Navia. And Quentin of you. Michaela, Jay, and I spent a few delightful hours one afternoon with Quentin and Eddie. My name is Quentin Navia. My name is Eddie Navia. And 
Eddie was my hero. So I'm so happy to have the name Navia because I used to collect his albums when I first started to play music of the Andes back wow. in the early 70s. He was my hero. And his group in Bolivia was the most fantastic. They, they played in the Olympia in Paris. Wow. And they toured Russia, France, Japan. Last Saturday, we had someone from Kurdistan, and he had performed in Kurdistan. So he was very famous as a charangus. That's a little guitar, maybe Eddie can show us later, made from the armadillo shell. Wow. wow. And he recorded 35 albums that hit the top 40 in Bolivia with his group that he founded, Savia Andina. Oh, my goodness. And then I actually saw them. I was up in Montreal learning to play Andean music, and I felt so ashamed because people said, I've seen you play the flute, and your English is getting much better. But being a New Yorker, I only spoke English. <laughs> and it was because I was wearing a poncho and that had my pan flutes. They thought I was Peruvian or Bolivian. <laughs> so I thought, this is really bad. I bought a Spanish dictionary, and I got on a Greyhound. I convinced a friend to go. And we headed down nonstop Montreal to San Antonio through Birmingham. Oh, my goodness. A very painful ride. How long did that take? 18 hours nonstop. Wow. Maybe it was longer. But then into Mexico with the dictionary, you know, huevos fritos, but hold the eggs because I don't want to eat them. (laughs) (laughs) And learning Spanish little by little. A month in Mexico, a month in Guatemala, a month in Costa Rica. It was extraordinary. And then starting from the north of Ecuador to Peru, when I got to Bolivia, 15 more months through the Andes by land. Oh, my God. In Bolivia, the capital of Bolivia is Sucre. And I saw a big poster for Saviandina. (gasps) Four handsome handsome young men (laughs) in the the 70s. So I bought a ticket and I went and they were phenomenal. I gave a hug to the flute player and a hug to the percussionist and a hug to the guitarist. And I turned to this handsome charango player. I couldn't get near him. He had so many girls around him. (laughs) They were going, Eddie, Eddie, first autograph. And Miss Bolivia was standing alongside of him with her hand on his arm. And I thought, that guy does not need another hello. I'm not even going to say hi to that guy. He must be so conceited with all those beautiful women. So <laughs> I left Bolivia, went back to Montreal, and formed my group, Sukai. We toured for 14 years, all the way up to the North Pole, oh, through wow. the Yukon, you know, through every province up to Gaspésie and over to Taiwan. And we did Carnegie Hall, oh Lincoln Centers, Avery Fisher, 23 states a year. 14 years after I didn't say hi, he brought his group to play at the Herb's Theater. Get out. Here in the city. And I was backstage because I had brought our group, Sukai, back to San Francisco where I had been here since the summer of love. I brought them to live here. And I went to their concert alone. I was backstage at the Herb's Theater and Eddie was walking down with his charango and I said, Hi, and I married him. All right. <laughs> That's amazing. That's what an amazing story. story. <laughs> but he started touring and artistically directing Sukai. We toured for another 10 years together. 
extraordinary tours. We did Red Rocks in Colorado. We did all the great theaters in North America. And then we started to do Peña Pachamama as a pop-up in the Cowell Theater. We'd rent the Fort Mason Center. We'd rent tables, umbrellas. We dressed our waiters as dancers. And we'd have the Bolivian community cook. And we brought up some Bolivian whiskey. And it was great in the Fort Mason Center, but in the theater, the theater manager kept yelling at us saying, stop bringing people on stage. And they said, is that real Bolivian whiskey? And, you know, the theater doesn't like whiskey on stage. So many people from the audience wanted to come up and dance. So it gave us an idea to look for a little place to have a home season. And North Beach was always magical for me. I came here in the late 60s. I didn't know anyone. I escaped from New York. I was working for Channel 11. in. um, What were you doing? I was a graphic artist. And below us on the bottom floor, they were filming Motown. Uh And I used to go down and see Michael Jackson when he was a little runty (laughs) nine-year-old. Oh, my goodness. And the Supremes, Diana Ross. We used to cut out of our art department to see this great music, but New York was dangerous. And it was cold, February, and they were having a two and a half week garbage strike. Yeah. And I bought a one-way ticket to San Francisco only because I had seen the Coit Tower. And I could see there was some blue bay. Yeah. And so I I sat there in the airport, it was like 1 a.m. And I thought, I didn't think this through, where do I go now? There there were no iPhones. And no computers. And pretty soon there were no more people in the airport. And I thought, I'm a New Yorker. They always look like you know where you're going. So I got in a taxi. She said, where to? I said, the Coit Tower. And he said, lady, it closes at 5 p.m. (laughs) (laughs) But he dropped me here. There was a little Swiss American hotel on Broadway where now they have the green tortoise. Uh, The hostel. The hostel. And the hotel owner said, are you over 13? <laughs> <laughs> but I went out looking for food. There's food in New York 24 7. There is. In there New was York. nothing open. Right. And I'm wandering <laughs> the streets of North Beach when this guy comes up from behind. Oh. And he starts to hug me. And you just don't do that in New York. So <laughs> I gave him an elbow. And I turned around and I got. Love. <laughs> it was my first look at the summer of love. He was going, peace, love. He said, you want a brownie? <laughs> and I was hungry, but I did not take that brownie. That's good. <laughs> but I thought I had landed in paradise. North Beach, for me, I mean, you'd go to the park and there would be the San Francisco mime troupe setting up, doing their wonderful whatever, political satires. And the committee workshop, I'd hang out there. The Hungry Eye was for comedians. I saw Woody Allen perform The Hungry Eye. And I'd grab my Linguirian herb can and sit at the Trieste and listen to the opera. North Beach was magical. And late night, Sam Woe, Etzel Ford Fong would give you a little pinch. And if you brought a friend, he'd say why are you with someone so ugly? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like bringing a date to Samoa's when Edsel Ford was. <laughs> but 
<laughs> but anyway, North Beach still has its magic for us. And when we went looking for Penya Patch Mom, I said to Eddie, only North Beach. And one day we walked down the street, there was a little for rent sign, but the sheriff had evicted the last owner. And so we called the number and this big property manager came and we said, we'll take this place. And he said, you haven't seen the kitchen. And we said, oh, that's okay. We didn't want to see the kitchen. And he thought that was strange. He said, well, submit your menu because famous restaurateurs are vying. This is the famous Emilio's. It turns out it was speakeasy. This oh. was San Francisco's notorious speakeasy. Really? This area used to be the Latin Quarter before the Italians came in in the 1870s. When Prohibition hit, all the Italian restaurants went out of business. So four restaurateurs came together to open the speakeasy to survive. That was the second floor speakeasy and it had a secret entrance to the bar and there are light tight wooden doors on the bar. You can close, can't see a crack of light. And it was never busted because they went to the same church as the chief of police. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the, the Peter Paul Church here. The, Peter Paul. Uh, so 19, 1933, they said, now we're legit. Let's open a restaurant. And they didn't know what to call it. So the four men drew straws. There was Pompeo Lunardini, who became the bartender. There was Tomasco, who later opened that pizzeria, Tomasco Laconi. There were the famous chef Gianni Evangelista and Emilio Passini. Emilio drew the straws. He said, we'll call this place Emilio's. Okay. Oh. And so through the 30s, 40s, 50s, this was the hot place. Joe DiMaggio had his wedding dinner here with Marilyn Monroe. And no. Clark Gable fell in love with Cal Lombard. They had all their rendezvous. And this was John and Robert Kennedy's favorite restaurant. Gina Lola Bridget, Groucho Marx, Dean Martin. Amazing. Babe Ruth, what? Rocky Marciano and, and Gary Cooper's favorite place. It was Emilio's. Emilio's. If these walls could talk, huh? But so here we were. He said, submit your menu. And we said, oh, my God, he wants restaurateurs. They'll never pick us. So we were on tour going up to Villar Center for the Arts up in Colorado. And I had my Mac. I said, oh, tell me your favorite foods. And then he said, uh, saltenias, silpanchos, calapulcre, you know. <laughs> so I, I just marked it down. I said, this will be a unique restaurant because it will be a peña. Peña literally means people coming together, circle of people. And every penya in Bolivia and South America is dedicated to someone. And we dedicated this to Pachamama. Pacha in the ancient indigenous language means earth. So Pachamama, Mother Earth. We wrote that down and we said they'll never call us. And by then we had a clunky cell phone. And we got the call. The place is yours. If you take it as is. We didn't know what that was. So we said, okay. And we got really scared. We're driving through the Rockies. And Eddie said, I'm scared. <laughs> what are we getting into? I said, don't worry. We're going to put a two-month and a four-month clause so we can do our home season and get out of here. So we came back and we signed the lease. And Officer Crisp, remember Officer Crisp from the Central Station, famous with uh, Sergeant Tacchini and 
he came down here because he knew our musical group. And he said, Eddie, Quentin, you two don't know what you're getting yourselves into in the restaurant business. 90% of restaurants go out of business the first year. And they're professional restaurateurs. He said, go to the landlord, try to get your deposit back. That was at the police station. When we left, I started to cry. I said, what? This is very difficult. And touring as a musician is a happy life. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so exciting. I mean, you go to hotels, you meet amazing people, you travel all over the world. It's so exciting. All of a sudden, we found ourselves looking at a kitchen and this place, and our hearts sunk until we started looking at this as another performance. The kitchen became backstage. Mm. The food became like props. <laughs> wow. And, and we dressed our dancers as the waiters. Yeah. We had no waiters ever. We dressed our dancers as waiters, and they'd wait on people, and then they'd go downstairs and put on the flamenco costume and the Bolivian. Yes. And then it became fun. Yeah. And that's we, a good struggled. <laughs> we struggled through the years. But I've been talking, so maybe Eddie can talk a little about he's the artistic amazing composer and he composed some music even during the pandemic he composed eight pieces one of them is called well of the pelicanos because we were sheltering in place we'd go every sunday to have a picnic by ourselves and watch the pelicans in the bay. Oh, that's so nice. And he wrote this beautiful song well of the pelicanos and yeah. maybe uh, yeah. I think she's talking about the next project that we're going to have. We're going to start in April. I composed eight songs from the Carnival of Bolivia. Different rhythms and different forms to show the costumes of Bolivia and the colorful that the Bolivian culture have. And our next project, we're going to put together a symphonic band. And we have already the music it was written down for the symphonic band and we are bringing a lot of costumes beautiful costumes from Bolivia and leader by leader we're going to have a very nice show with a lot of people who's going to be dancing here and do you see that character over there that's yes, the I see Diablo character, yeah. yeah and one of the songs is called La Diablada and we're going to try it's, to put so together these uh, dancers to teach them how to dance this wow. song. But you won't believe how beautiful are the costumes, the colorful and how they dance is really beautiful. And in this small ambience, yes. it's something different to see in the theater because yes. you can feel also the breathing of the people. Is it going to be a dinner and a show or just a show? Dinner and a show. Dinner and a show. Yeah, that's the amazing thing. Yeah. In a theater, of course, you can't eat. And I'm usually hungry when I when Always, I watch. Always, me too. <laughs> and, but you can't eat, you can't get up and dance, and you can't make noise. The beauty of a pena is you have this intimate, intimate performance. Yeah, right. It's like remember the great Arnold Artaud, the great director. He created a theater in France, I think, where he only would allow fifty people, so that it could be seen in an intimate way. We have Brazilian and we have Peruvian dancers. And lately we always have a flamenco dancer in into the show but, and she pulls people up and she shows them but steps. When the But in the Brazilian oh, yeah. part is batucada. Do you know the batucada? All the drumming of the people 
with bigger bombos and percussion instruments, and they start playing the tambores, uh, all the percussion, and the dancers, they come in the end, and they dance, and, and they make the people And they're just through dance. the tables and getting people up to dance with them. But you know how the Brazilian dancers wear the really big dress, the feathers, big co- feathers, feathers. And, they, and the big the costumes, the headdresses? Yeah. So can you imagine all of that in this In small this thing? tiny little space. Yeah, exactly. That's a challenge. Yeah, I bet that's a challenge. Yeah. I, ha- I have to say that her dad had some of the great events here with Gavin Newsom, and they brought Robin Williams, and Robin Williams got everyone up dancing. Oh, I bet. Even Gordon Getty was up dancing, and they had to try to sit him down. He was so excited. Wow. And Robin Williams took to the stage that night, and he said, food was great, dancing with the food. My colon is saying, we've got to talk. <laughs> he said, no, but this place, he said, it's, he said, I came in here tonight, and I said, this place is strange. He said, but he used the F word, amazing. He said, <laughs> he said, this is the kind of place they could make even the Amish dance. He said, I see them in the car in Amish saying, Ezekiel. We are going to this place. (laughs) But when Beach Blanket Babylon was having their last performance on New Year's, Mayor Brown was one of the big, important guests, and he actually had a part in the show. But before midnight, he came down here with an entourage of almost 30 people. <laughs> Whoa. And he came in, and, and we had one table, and we had to push people, get away, Mr. Mayor Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and, uh, leave. And he was here, and he was here for midnight oh, and gosh. celebrated, and we had some On of New the Samba girls, and then he went back over to the party. This there. was just a couple of years ago, right? Like 2019, maybe? 2019. Yeah, because yeah. I went to one of the last shows of the, the British it was Blanket. Beach Blanket Babylon. What is it? Beach Blanket Babylon. There we exactly. go. Better, 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 better. Such a fun show. Well, there was the character of Mayor Brown, but he played himself. He did? He did. He played himself on that last oh, no performance. Way. And he wore this purple, beautiful purple suit that was so incredible. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, we, love that. we love Mayor Brown. We do too. We're a Mayor Brown family here. <laughs> so I feel like you've brought Bolivian culture to San Francisco is kind of what At I'm... the beginning, yes. It, yeah. was, it was just Bolivian. But after we were passing a lot of years, we started to bring all the Peruvian, Ecuadorian, Brazilian. Cuban. Cuban. Cuba, the great a lot of Cuban. Yeah. Uh, flamenco. We have flamenco every Saturday by Terry. And flamenco, as I know it, is Spanish. Is there a different flamenco? Yeah, Spanish. Okay, so there's the the Spanish flamenco. Yeah, Yeah, we include another culture, so even belly dancing, Middle Eastern. Okay, (laughs) Yeah, because one of the members of the band is from Lebanon. He does a few Middle Eastern. But you know, flamenco, when I came to San Francisco, of course, there was the spaghetti factory. Endless spaghetti, as much as you could eat with garlic bread. And then (laughs) you went down into the cave where great flamenco artists, guitars, some of the flamenco greats, and their children have performed here. Oh, really? Wow, that's incredible. That's amazing. So it's generational. Yeah. What's funny, what I didn't mention when I was in San Francisco in the late 60s, and I didn't know what I was going to do in life. 
I saw this little post in a coffee house saying, ACT offering free scholarship to their student theater, and you had to audition. I'm not an actor, but I memorized some things, and I went in and I auditioned, and I got the scholarship. Oh, no you did. <laughs> At I did, ACT. I did Charlotte Corday and Marat Saad, and then I had to do a Shakespeare piece. I don't think I had talent for it, but I think maybe they thought, oh, she's cute. We can improve her. <laughs> <laughs> she can <So> learn. <laughs> when I tried to do Samuel Beckett, you know, Waiting for Godot, they thought maybe she has another talent. And William Ball, Bill McKenzie, and Bill Bushnell, there were the three Williams back then. Yes. William Ball said, she's a graphic artist. We need her. And they set me up in an office. And they paid me a lot of money, and I used to do the theater ads. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very exciting. This sounds like another podcast episode. It is another podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you about, so when you originally put the menu together, this was just like, what are your favorite foods? So when you actually put the menu together, did you get recipes like from your family, or was it just... Oh, yeah, of course. Tell me about that. My Tell whole us. family, all... My mom, my grandma, they were great cooks. Yeah. And my brothers and sisters are a great cook. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Seven. Seven? Yeah, we, we are a seven. Oh, wow. I have six. It's a big family. A big family. Yeah. All very good cooks, but I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I was the only one. Eater. A good eater. <laughs> yeah. It can either be one or the other, I feel yeah. like. I'm also but a good I eater. I have to tell you that our, one of our most famous dishes, the Empanadas the Salteñas. That recipe is Eddie's family recipe from Potosi. Eddie's from the mining town of Potosi. I think the low part in his town is like 14,000 feet. Oh my goodness. Birds don't even sing, they just cough. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you That's walk around high. with oxygen masks? We did That's so high. All up. the Bolivian traditional food from Bolivia, we design in a kind of more uh, gourmet part because in Bolivia, in Mexico, and South America, they keep the food, a lot of food, only for one person. And we try to design almost French style. Okay. Every time Bolivians came, they were protesting because they said, what, what's this? It's <laughs> <laughs> a small portion of everything. Well, you don't tell them the important We don't use meat here. Oh, vegetarian? We're, we're plant-based, vegan, <gasps> gluten-free, mostly gluten-free. Always? No. We no. began as a carnivore restaurant. and I am um, talking about that part of the... the that part of so the restaurant. So when Eddie says design, he also means that we're taking like these empanadas. In Bolivia, they use 22 eggs, six cups of sugar, animal lard. They take cow feet to get the gelatin. So our challenge was how to make one as delicious, but using organic flour, organic vegetables, no lard... No yeah. eggs. Yeah. No eggs. Yeah. So that's the challenge. And we came up with an incredible, you have to try them. They're so delicious. And now we do a lot of Bolivian dishes, right? Before we became a vegan, restaurant, uh -huh. and vegetarian, we were eating a lot of meat, especially me. And she loved the lamb. We had really very nice menu with the fish, uh, pork, and also meat and Everything inspired in the Bolivian food, in traditional Bolivian food. 
I used to eat the same thing every night. One of my favorites for this called silpancho and also the salteña, the Bolivian empanada. But when we became vegetarian and vegan, we went to Argentine restaurant with Quentin and I asked the asado de tira. I ate two plates of, and that was the last time I tried the meat. That was almost 20 years ago. Then we became vegan, vegetarians, and this Peña Pachamama is the only place who offers this option, the raw food. A lot of people who eat raw, they cannot find in San Francisco places where they serve uh, raw food. Yeah, we make here, uh, of course, the raw kale chips, they won the award for best of raw in the big LA Expo. Really? It was like getting a Grammy. Wow. <laughs> we got a, they, they <laughs> was flashing Peña Pachamama kale chips. But we make bread, sunflower flax, pumpernickel bread. And we make BLTs, but we make the bacon with fresh coconut and we season it. And then we use organic vegetables. We make raw tacos that are organic corn. And then we dehydrate the taco, raw ravioli, raw spaghetti. And we make the best raw desserts, like chocolate fudge pecan brownie. No sugar, just sweetened with dates. And then we, we make chocolate mousse with... Uh, That's easy to bring. I can bring a small... Oh, I think there's kale really? chips. Did he yeah, bring yeah, some gonna... kale chips? What? <laughs> <laughs> Are we getting food right now? <laughs> you should try the kale chips. I, I think they left some bags after us. Hopefully. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so so what that's was... how we survived the pandemic. We bagged the kale chips. In fact, you see those cartons that just came in? Is that for the that's kale chips? Because, <laughs> uh, like today, this afternoon, we'll probably take six cartons. We took 19 over to Rainbow on Monday. And we'll take six cartons over to the Buy Right Market. And there's a woman in Marin who orders 50 bags of pizza kale chips because we make pizza spicy, the original cheesy, and we make chocolate kale chips. We ship them and we distribute them to the stores. And that's how we kept our staff together during the pandemic. During the pandemic. They were so busy. <laughs> My goodness. And we have an online store. And today he's shipping out 91 bags to different people. And then he has the 50, the box of 50 to the woman in Mill Valley. <laughs> Every month, she orders 50 bags. 50 bags. That's amazing. So are you in just local San Francisco grocery stores and the Mill Valley woman? Are you anywhere else? Is um, there... We're in Santa Elena. We're in Lake Tahoe. Really? Lake Tahoe? We have one store up there. Yeah. He used to be a manager by right, and then he, and then he was up there. <laughs> We want to. Wow. So, Healthy goes everywhere. Yes, it we does. Actually, we actually, they have a bag on Amazon, but it says not available because we just can't. We make Keep them, up with production? We make them and bag them, label them individually, and we just can't produce that quantity. And what's your shelf life with shipping? Does About it four months. Oh, okay. So you could potentially ship. We had a little booth in the fancy food show for a couple of years. And we had hundreds of stores around the country and specialty markets who wanted our chips. And we realized we can't do that. We're musicians. So at the fancy food show, right away, I made another sign. I said, we only take prepaid orders, credit card. 
And right now, that's what we do. We don't have any billing. We have everyone's credit card on file. If they want the chips, we take the money. And that's made it very easy for us to stay small, but to support the Pena, try to keep it sustainable. How many days a week are you here performing? Two days, like Friday and Saturday. And when are you open? Monday through Saturday at 4.30. 4.30, dinner only. Dinner only. Closed and on Sundays. And we have the flamenco matinee now at 5.30 on Saturdays, and then our show is at 8 o'clock. What made you go vegan? Well, we were getting old and frumpy and sickly, so we decided to go on a raw food detox. I couldn't believe how enthusiastic Eddie was because he was such a carnivore. I mean, he would eat bread, butter, meat. And if he felt ill, he said, Honey, I think that lettuce didn't agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> and so back then there was a raw food restaurant that isn't here anymore, but they were great. Cafe Gratitude. Oh, Cafe Gratitude. And we went in and we ordered the ice cream, the raw ice cream shakes. Oh, so I am good. Grace and the chocolate one, I am Luscious. And he drank that and he said, for this I could give up meat forever. And he I, did. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Besides other reasons for the ecology, people will put out many other reasons. For us at first it was health. And that's why we're so happy to be able to offer Bolivian and Latin food, but healthy. Because yeah. we use organic Absolutely. We use organic vegetables, organic flour. The only oils we use are extra virgin olive oil and organic coconut oil. No other oil. That's like cooking at home. Yes. (laughs) I love it so much. (laughs) And most recently, you've earned the legacy status. Oh, that was so exciting, really. I mean, I know there's hundreds of restaurants and businesses that are waiting to be. And when they called us to go to the historic commissioner's meeting. We were scared. It was like, you know, you're going in. It's like a courtroom. You go in there in City Hall. And they spoke so well about Peña Pachamama. We were honored, really. And there was one man who was here that night. Your dad brought Robin Williams. His name was Richard Johns. And after everyone spoke, he said, I was there. Then I, and, and we were so happy. He said, you know, he spoke about it and we were honored, really. Yeah, so, what does it mean? Just for our listeners who doesn't know what a legacy well, business is. A legacy business usually is business 25 to 30 years in the city of San Francisco. But it's also put out for businesses that, I'll read it here, it says, uh, acknowledges the long-standing community-serving establishment, valuable cultural asset, and the soul of the city. It says the preservation is critical to maintaining the unique character of San Francisco. That's fantastic. So we are honored to be it. Yes, and a big congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Such a huge congratulations. What an honor. What is your hope for the future of North Beach in San Francisco? I hope North Beach can preserve the magic that it unmistakably has, being able to walk the streets and feel the different cultural places, theater, comedy, and art, and to keep that magic happening. We are really sorry that a lot of people of our friends, after the pandemic, they left this neighborhood. They were really also part of the soul of San Francisco. 
when I went to walk around the neighborhood, it was so nice. I met so many friends, good people, people who liked the art. One of them, they came to sing. It was He has a great voice, Italian guy, and he lost his restaurant. I was very sorry about it for him. And another place, beautiful places, beautiful cafes around this area. And uh, I hope this neighborhood come back to bring the magic that it was before. The magic of this place is all the talent and love of the dedication of the people who come perform here and who share the same creative spirit. Yeah, hopefully, maybe we're going to start to open also lunchtime because we lost a lot of our staff, our bartenders and line cooks. Now it's very difficult to put together now a, a really good uh, people to work. We have great staff. It's small, but we've kept the best. I mean, when you hear them working so hard and laughing, that's what you love. Oh, you love to hear best. the kitchen. They are doing all this hard. They're dishwashing. having parties all night. <laughs> Sounds like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what I what I love and appreciate is the sense of community here has been just marvelous. I mean, I've been here for many many occasions. So we can't thank, thank you. you enough. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. To you. You know, I could talk about a million things from this awesome interview that we just did. But the real thing that I want to talk about right now still is just the kale chips. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Eddie brought them out and sat them in front of us. And we all politely just sort of looked at them. And we were like, we're talking. I don't think we should eat right now. (laughs) But Mm. then as soon as we were done, put those in my mouth and I couldn't stop. I'm pretty sure after I dropped Jay off, I opened my bag and ate the whole thing. I mean, <laughs> they're they're doing some serious, amazing food over there. And I can't wait to go back because we know they're doing all the great music and performing and so many things. But yeah, being a raw vegan place, I get really excited as someone who can't have dairy. So vegan is kind of a natural place where I go. So I... <laughs> just love their whole the whole kit of the two Mr. and Mrs. Navia they were just adorable I loved them (laughs) when we got to the restaurant Mr. Navia was actually on a video call being interviewed in Bolivia because he's won so many awards for his music how cool is it that two musicians and artists came together put together some vision and have it be delivered in the form of a restaurant It's kind of unheard of. It's a really cool spot because it's not very big. And when they have the Brazilian dancers, you guys, with the big headdresses, it's stunning. And their musicianship is fantastic. I mean, really, it's a go-to as far as I'm concerned for anyone coming to San Francisco or for anyone living here or anything. Just go, run, because it's wonderful. Oh, I can't wait. And you know what else I can't wait for? Our next interview. Who is that? Jay, next week. Well, Michaela, next week we continue our series, which is OGs and Young Guns. And we have a conversation with Nia McAllister and Tarita McKell, who are both award-winning poets at the Museum of the African Diaspora. 
I'm really excited for this one. I'm still glowing about this interview. (laughs) I can't wait for everybody to hear about it. And we also took some really fabulous photos in that gorgeous museum in front of some of the artwork. So if you'd like to see those and us, make sure you check us out on our social media at Beyond the Fog Radio. And you can find us on Apple, Google, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye now. See ya. Beyond the Fog Radio would not be possible without Arliss Hayes, Tim Johnson, Tim O'Shea, and our very own Connor Chang. And we want to thank our sponsors, Bill O'Keefe, Michael Baines, and Brenda Wright. And we want to thank our partner, San Francisco Magazine. And we'd like to give a shout out to Monique Moyer, who has been listening since the beginning. So thank you so much, Monique. Thank you, Monique. Monique, you're the best. All rights reserved, 2023.